This is an APAC EO production. Welcome to episode 71 of the EO Business Podcast for APAC. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and this morning I'm joined with Otto Dargan from Home Loan Experts. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Brendan? I'm great. Now, it's been a while. Um, we've been tic-tacking back and forward to get you on the, the podcast. What does Home Loan Experts do? Uh, we're mortgage brokers, uh, to keep it very simple, but how are we different to other mortgage brokers? Most mortgage brokers focus on price, but very few actually specialise in credit policy. So what we do is we help good people who are outside of the box to get approved at a great rate. Sounds like a good service for EOs. We're all out of the box in some way. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So when you say price, you mean the interest rate that you're being charged? Yeah. Is that, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think like that's really easy to do as a mortgage broker. That's, I don't think you're adding as much value as you could. It's really when people have a plan, like um, they want to buy a home, for example, and they're stuck renting, if you can help them get there and they can afford it, then you're giving a much bigger benefit to society. So how do you deal with those big banks? Because in my experience, I've found that they just go, okay, this guy's self-employed. He's got, you know, different income sources. We don't get that because they don't have a stable income. And, well, they might have a stable income, but they don't have a steady PAYG pay packet. How do you, yeah. how do you deal with that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, banks really don't understand self-employed and really don't understand business. And when you think about it, it really comes down to even the core belief system. Of a lot of people who work for banks, um, they're, they're really focused on security. And so the idea of running a business and what an entrepreneur does is really quite scary to a bank. Um, what we find in terms of getting approved um, as a business owner um, is really about knowing what your needs are and how a lender would view your situation and then applying with a lender that ma- that is okay with someone in your situation or will understand your situation because each lender has a different risk appetite and um, when it comes to business lending, um, it's a shifting landscape. So one lender may be really aggressive in business lending one year and then the next year they've lent too much and so they're pulling back and they're declining a lot of people so it's um it is a lot more challenging so so do these like some of these lenders look at like even if you've got a track record of steady profit every year do they sort of put you in the box well it could all end tomorrow they will find the uh the problems in a otherwise rosy situation yeah that's just, that's how they think. They focus on risk. Yeah. Um, and so really, um, I'll give maybe a couple of examples. Let's say that um, one year you invest heavily in growth and so your profit is low because you've hired lots of people, you've, you know, you've done a lot of things. And then the next year your profit is high. Um, then lenders will go, well, your, your profit increased a lot between those two years, so we're not really comfortable you know, using your current profit, we're going to use last year's. Um, whereas other lenders, you can explain what happens and you can say, hey, we, we, you know, we were a growth business last year and so this year we're seeing the rewards. And then they'll take this year's income. Yeah, so, right. So it's just, um, it's about 
finding a lender that understands your situation. But the, the one thing in Australia is that you must always be able to prove that you can afford the loan. Yeah. Um, so, so that can be a challenge for business owners, although there are low-doc loans where you can, mm. uh, you can just sign a form to confirm you can afford it. Yeah, right. So are you finding uh, at the moment that it's getting harder to get money? Like for the banks seem to be choked. They take their, there's, they seem to be more and more adverse to risk and, you know, with the coronavirus and everything that's happened um, and things seem to be taking a lot longer. What, I mean, what's your experience around that? And the big problem at the moment is delays. So um, basically mortgage applications are up 40% in the last year or thereabouts, and the banks just can't handle that kind of volume. Um, in addition to that, they're doing additional checks and balances due to the impact of COVID on the economy. And uh, so as a result of that, they've got more applications and each one is taking longer. So some lenders are taking like up to a month to look at an application, but others are still one or two days. So it's yeah, a bit wow. of a place. Yeah. So are you, are you finding the big four are still, do they have that fast turnaround or does it depend on the application? Right now, the big four are the slowest, although there's differences between them. Um, yeah. We're finding the the second tier lenders like Macquarie and ING are much, much faster at the moment. And are they competitive with the big four rates? Like they seem to be, I don't know, I've seen rates sub 2%. Um, yeah. Um, are those second tier lenders matching that kind of, you know, low interest yeah. rate? Usually the second tier lenders are actually a little bit cheaper than the big four. Oh, right. Um, but it, it really does vary. Um, it, it's all over the place. It changes almost on a, on a monthly basis, I would say. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, makes it tricky for you guys, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we have a job. <laughs> Fair enough. So you're doing, uh, I take it you're doing more work to get deals across the line? For, absolutely. With... Yeah. Um, it, it is what it is. Our industry is um, always quite chaotic. And yep. um, so we kind of just roll with it and adapt as things change. So you, you've got uh, home loan experts have got, a, as I understand, a really big offshore workforce. How's that played, um, I don't know, in, in today's environment and also to, you know, the success of the business? Yeah, so um, uh, we have 30 staff in Sydney and we have 300 staff in Nepal. And, 300, um, wow. That's, uh, yeah, you must be so processing a hell of a lot of... So we're very busy, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, and we're just, planning to hire. Just on that, is one not, you know, not being uh, playing down the, the Nepalese workforce, but mm -hmm. uh, is it equal to one local um, head of, you know, headcount in terms of yeah, productivity um, or is it harder uh, to manage because you're here and they're over mm -hmm. there? I would say it's just different um, in that, it, uh, there's not really, I mean, it, Nepalese and Australian staff, I think, are, are comparable in terms yeah. of, um, you know, how hard they work and things like that. Um, I would say Australia's strength is innovation um, because we've got a culture that we're very, a flat society, everyone's equal, so everyone will speak their minds. Um, people will call out when they think something is wrong. Um, people will take risks and will challenge things around them. And so that creates a great culture for innovation. Um, whereas I see Nepal society, um, 
people, um, society is a bit more respect focused. Um, and so that means that, you know, challenging things around you, particularly to your boss, is probably a bit harder. Mm. Um, and so I would say it's just different in terms of cultural points of view. And, and what we're trying to do is we try and get the best of um, Australia and Nepal and put them together to create our own culture. So how's it been over the last 18 months where we haven't been able to travel for the most part? How do you manage that? You know, 300 headcount sounds like a lot of people to me, yeah. but how do you manage that? Or are you out of that day-to-day loop and you have people on the ground doing all of that? Um, it's been challenging because um, we made the decision in February um, 2020 to have everyone work from home. And oh, even in even in, even in Nepal as well. Yeah, and it's been that way ever since. Um, uh, in Nepal, we we just simply can't open our offices there. Um, it's just too risky to do so. And so we've grown the team substantially in that time. And so more than half the team has never been into our office. Wow. Which um, I see as a big challenge from a cultural perspective. Um, so in the short term, we'll be okay, but obviously that does cause problems. But in the long term, um, we really need to get people into the office so we can build that, uh, make sure that we maintain the culture that we want. What is the culture that you want? And is it different Australia yeah. to Nepal? Um, it is a little bit different Australia to Nepal. We, we are absolutely, uh, I would even say borderline psychotic when it comes to hiring. Um, <laughs> we, um, I, I think I tried to do the, the maths test to get an interview in our Nepal office and I failed it. So um, I'm lucky I founded the company, I guess. Yeah, you got, <laughs> and you got the cheat sheet. So. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so we're, we have really strict hiring and a big part of that is values. Um, and yeah, we just have a rule that we, like, I, I don't want to, if I don't want to work with someone, then why are they in the business, you know? And so being extremely strict with hiring and being, you know, looking to see if anyone doesn't fit our culture means we've, we've got an exceptional culture. Mm. And um, that's something that we absolutely want to maintain. Yeah. Um, and so is that culture developed over, I don't know, trial and error or, yeah, making um, making some mistakes and realizing that that's not the pathway to to growth. Yeah, in the early days of the business, and I think everyone does this, but you know, you have that thing where you have a high performer who's got a bad attitude, right? Yeah. And you go, do I? What do yeah. I do here? And um, short term, it feels so good, but long term, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I, I learned that lesson and moved on. Um, and now, um, you know, if someone's got a bad attitude, they're out. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, so do you have that same strict hiring for Sydney, like the maths test and. Yes, we do. Yeah. We, we get people to sign a statutory declaration about their past 10 years employment history. We call every single reference. Um, so we put a huge amount of work into hiring. Yeah. Um, wow. So our people and culture teams about 22 people, I think. So. Oh, uh, that's across Sydney and Nepal. Yeah, that's recruiters, trainers, and core, you know, HR functions. Um, so does that mean that you do you use recruitment agencies to recruit, or is it a mix? 
we use a mix. Um, it turns out in the whole our recruitment agency is quite cheap, so we'll add them as an additional source. But kind of our goal is to have a, an enormous number of high quality applicants, and then we can pick and choose the top couple of percent of the population. Yeah. Amazing. So I'm taking the, the Nepali, like Sydney is kind of the innovation hub where you're looking at ways to improve the business and then your grunt power is over in Nepal where they're doing a lot of processing. and Yeah, in, in some ways. Um, over time, Nepali staff adapt to Australian culture and when, when you reward someone for challenging and innovating, then they, they begin to do it. Um, and so I would say that, like, and, you know, this varies. Some, some staff are really just not comfortable with that at all, but mm. others really embrace it. So um, we've got a lot of very high-level roles and a lot, of, a lot more innovation coming out of our Nepal office. Yeah. So yeah. does that mean that it's with that many staff, it's a volume game, like getting as many applications approved as possible? Uh and how, like, how, how is that different? Because I, I don't know a lot about the mortgage broking mm -hmm. industry, but the ones that I do know tend to have, I think, much smaller teams. Like, yeah. So what's your, I guess, what's your angle? Because you've got a lot more yeah. overhead. So yeah. how, it, how I don't know, how, how do you make that profit? A bit, profit? Yeah. So um, in our industry, most people are talking about regulations and compliance. Um, and technology as well. Um, there's probably not enough people talking about technology. What we find most of our industry are not talking about is the um, huge shortage of talent. Um, it's really, really hard to hire great mortgage brokers in Australia. Um, and so when you, when you consider that the entire industry has this problem, um, the approach we're taking is, well, we want to solve that problem. So in Nepal, we can hire um, really um, highly intelligent, loyal people who don't have experience and we can train them up. And then in time, they can be a high performer in our industry. So we have, um, so for us, building that talent is actually a key part of our strategy. Yeah. In the short term, that's not profitable. But we also have an outsourcing division where we work for other mortgage brokers. Ah, oh, so, okay. So this is, this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so you're the back office for other smaller brokers as well. That's it. So we have 70 staff that work for other brokers in Australia um, because they all have that same problem. And so if we can solve that problem for them and we can solve that problem for us, then that puts us in a very strong position. So as a mortgage broker, do you have to be, I don't know, registered in Australia? And then like I'm thinking that you've got one person who's registered, but then they might have a team under them that are, doing all the grunt yeah. work and then they look at the final review before submitting it to the, to the lender. Yeah. Um, some of our team in Nepal um, have actually um, been with us so long and have learned so much that they've actually been able to become registered mortgage brokers themselves. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and what, what, does, what does that actually involve? Is it a qualification or is it an application to the regulator? How, how do you actually become a, a registered mortgage broker? Yeah. So there's, there's a course that you've got to do and um, then there's a whole bunch of background checks and um, then you've got to get accreditation with all of the lenders and there's a, a bunch of other requirements like you've got to be a member of the industry body, you've got to be a member of dispute resolution uh, as well. 
um, and you need to be appointed under someone's credit license, which of course we have one. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that really is a, a long-term strategy. How long have you been going for now? Uh, we've been going for 15 years and probably I think eight or nine years in Nepal. Oh, okay. So you must have started uh, Home Loan Experts pretty young. Did you yeah, get, I was, was 23, and 23. I started it in my living room. It was quite a ride. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So did you go, did you ever have a job before that or did you just start straight? Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I worked selling kitchen knives while at university and that's where I learned <laughs> sales. Yeah. I, um, perfect, I training, perfect training ground. Hey? Yeah, it was really good training actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually, some of the best sales training I've ever seen. Um, yeah. I was very fortunate to get that at age 18. That was, that was great. Um, and I dropped out of uni at a, um, like about six months in. I, I never really wanted to go. Um, I went because my grandparents pleaded with me basically. Yeah. Um, and then um, I was thinking like, you know, what do I want to do? And I thought, well, I like working with numbers and money. I like helping people and I'm interested in property investment. And so I kind of looked at all of that and thought mortgage broker is actually like a really good intersection of those mm. three things. And, and then uh, f- 15 years ago, it would have been a bit of an innovation. Like the banks at that point didn't really want mortgage brokers. And so you, your uh, timings. <laughs> <laughs> but now now they kind of need them, don't they? Like it's. They don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because most people use a mortgage broker. So, you know, the yeah. banks have to work yeah. with mortgage brokers. But the, the early days, it was um, a very unregulated industry. It was very unprofessional. Um, yeah. There were. I would say there were quite a few mortgage brokers who shouldn't have been doing it. Yeah, um, right. There's now it's quite a professional industry. Uh, it's so highly regulated now, I yep. would imagine. So, so without giving, I guess, specific advice, what's a? I know it's a bit hard me speaking in these general terms, but what are some good strategies around getting um, getting money from lenders? If you know, coming from that kind of entrepreneur entrepreneurial angle, where you're yep. uh, you're self employed. Yeah, um, so it really, really depends on what you're trying to do. So yeah. um, uh, for funding your business, um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are in kind of the growth or startup stage and the, the problem is you're not actually showing a profit. Yeah. Right? Um, in which case then you may need to consider that equity may be a better way to fund it in terms of you know, getting investors in. Um, once you can show a profit or you can show a projection that get you to profit and it's it's quite reliable, then you can start to look at, you know, business lending. Mm. Um, but generally, unsecured business lending is relatively small. Um, these are very, very general rules. but Yeah, you know, so you can get like up to 250000 or something like that. And- that's it. And, and that's kind of the absolute maximum. And most people, realistically, it's 50000 or thereabouts. Yep. Um, and then uh, really what you want to do as a business owner is be in a position where um, you're in a position of strength whenever you borrow money. Um, then you can dictate terms. You can you have more lenders that are looking for you, uh, looking to work with you. Um, and so showing a good profit one year enables you to then um, 
take out more loans. So like personally, what I like to do is have a cycle where say one year I have, um, I show a higher income and I can sort out all my loans, buy properties, do all sorts of things like that. Then I invest in growth heavily. So the next year yeah. I have a very low income. Yeah. And it doesn't uh, matter then because you've already got the money. That's it. And then the next year I show a high income again and then I can, I can borrow again. Yeah. So have you used that strategy yourself in buying property or funding your business or? Yeah. In, in buying property um, myself and my, my business, um, what I've learned from being in lending is that um, it's cash flow that kills most businesses, not a lack of profit. Yeah. Um, and so with that in mind, I'm quite conservative when it comes to financing my business. We will use debt occasionally to, to grow quickly if we see a very solid opportunity. Mm. But most of the time, we just have a line of credit sitting there so that if things do go wrong, like there's a pandemic, we know that we will be okay through it. And, I, and I'm taking that's probably secured against property. Um, no, not in our case. So um, because we receive a trailing income from lenders, we can actually use that income stream as security. Got it. Loan, yeah. Which is something most industries can't do. But um, uh, a lot of businesses do have some kind of asset that isn't bricks and mortar that can be used to security. Yeah, cool. So it sounds like you've been going for 15 years. So businesses really, you know, rocketing along really with that many staff and you've worked out, uh, you know, your angle in the market. What's your lifestyle look like? Yes, I... Um, I know you I, like to travel. Uh, yeah, I did <laughs> like our- to travel. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so I appointed a CEO um, about nine months ago and we're in the process of setting up an advisory board and I'll become the chair of that board. So, so right now I technically have no role in the org chart. Yep. Um, I'm still quite involved in the business as a technical expert, mm-hmm. um, but my hours have reduced significantly. I would say it's like 30 to 40 hours a week at the moment. Um, and the yeah. aim to get it—that's that, still—that's still quite a, a chunk, yeah. thirty to forty hours. Yeah, it's because we've been growing rapidly, and that all mm-hmm. the all the creation I tend to be fairly involved in, but the day to day I tend yeah. not to be. So you you're at that stage where you're working on the business, not in it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so, how is that uh, supporting what you like to do outside of work? It's good, but I mean, the thing I really want to do is travel. So, um, you know, uh, <laughs> so this year I've, uh, I've, you know, just taken up a few new hobbies like tennis um, and just really trying to chill out a bit because yep. after, you know, um, 15 years and uh, probably a good, you know, 13 years of that was a really hard slog. And so, yep. um, you know, just doing nothing for a bit is totally okay. Have you ever, uh, I've been through a few businesses now where I hit that 10 year peak and, um, I know in the first, my first business when I was in my twenties, I got to 10 years and I was totally burnt out and, and sold it. And then I've recently been through another cycle where I've hit that 10 years, had a bit of a meltdown, but then I've managed to go through. Have you experienced anything like that over your career? Yeah. Yeah. I would say like my engagement level goes up and down in time, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's normal and natural and it's something that I've tried to understand whenever it does happen and to look after myself 
when yeah. it does happen. Um, but what I did find is that I, I re-engaged with my business yeah. um, and I felt more energized and more enthusiastic. And so I know now it's when that does happen, it's not a permanent thing. And yeah. so it shouldn't. I, I know that if I was, for example, to sell my business, I would start another one. Yeah. So um, yeah. it makes sense for me to just stay doing what I love with a team that I love and something I'm good at, yeah. even though... You know, I'm sure I would enjoy starting something new as well. So that that probably leads nicely into my final question for you, Otto. Yep. Um, you talked about innovation throughout this interview. What mm. what are the plans? And you you seem like you you get a buzz out of creating new things and new ways of approaching business. What are the you know you are you looking at fintech or what what are your plans for the future yeah. and how to disrupt further? Well, this is something I find quite interesting. I look at my industry and for whatever reason, um, like when the internet took off, um, you know, most brokers didn't have a website. And um, that was a trend that we were able to capitalise on because our competitors were asleep at the wheel. And now I look at where we're at here and technology is a very obvious trend. And um, it's not a new trend. It's been going for some time. So I would say we're late to the party but we were with the internet as well. We were very late to the party and we still did well. And so our intention is to shift our business to be a technology business, so to be a fintech. And for us, what that means is our core strength is credit policy of lenders and getting people approved. So creating a tech solution for helping people to get approved. So we've built a system that can analyze an application and can figure out what a lender would see, um, how a lender would assess it, and would work out which lenders can approve it. So the idea being that you can get the experience of our entire broker team um, with built into a system. Yeah, wow. And so who would the who would the customer be? Would it be other mortgage brokers or is that the target market? We'll use it ourselves. Yep. Um, we may look at expanding it to other mortgage brokers. But to a certain extent, it's our secret source. So yeah. um, I'd be hesitant to um, to open it up to the market. Yeah. So your That's software your software is basically a a productivity saving tool where you can get the applications right and have a higher level of success. That's right. Potentially I mean, means more volume. I, I would imagine if you're successful for people, they're referring other others in and all of that. Yeah. And um, we want to be able to put it on our website so that, you know, for example, you're asking questions about self-employed borrowers. So someone can go on and enter in what their situation is and it'll tell them how and when they'll view their situation. Mm. I think it's very helpful. Yep. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, that's been great hearing all about uh, your business, Otto. If people want to find out a little bit more about what what you do, sorry, um, what's your website? Uh, homeloanexperts.com.au. That's brilliant. Okay, Otto, thank you very much. Thanks, Brendan. You've been listening to an APAC EO production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it'd be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.